Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911, one man car. My name is Jesse Romero. The month of February is dedicated to the Holy Family. The special devotion which proposes a holy family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as the model of virtue of all Christian households. This began in the 17th century in the Catholic Church. This February, let's restore that devotion in our domestic church. It would be both, uh, it would both honor the Holy Family, and at the same time, it becomes a reminder to strengthen family life. After all, the Church has has taught us how how the Holy Family is a model, the example for all families around the world. So says St. John Paul II in a 2001 Angelus, he called the family of Nazareth a model for every home. By the way, you can support the show by sharing the full show link at vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMP Radio and our YouTube channel, Full Sheen Ahead. Share us with your friends and evangelize everybody that you love. Today's also the feast day of the Japanese martyrs, St. Paul Miki and his companions pray for us. Okay, on Mondays throughout the year, I'm I'm basically going to be talking about some great aspects about the Catholic faith. Today, I'm going to tweak it just a little bit, because even when it comes to spiritual warfare, the Catholic Church, because it was given the authority by Jesus Christ over Satan and over demons, the Catholic Church is the only trustworthy source to listen to when it comes to spiritual warfare. And so today, I'm going to show you how unique the Catholic Church is. In, in light of spiritual warfare, the nuances that most people, especially Protestants, just don't get. I'm going to be talking about the spiritual warfare today in light of the Catholic Church's teachings and uh, specifically questions on authority because this is an area that a lot of people have questions about. And I'll tell you why. It's because of uh, Father Chad Ripperger, who's tapped into the, into the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas. He's caused a revolution in the Catholic Church in a good way. Because Catholics used to follow Protestant models, Protestant modalities of praying over people, of what you would call healing and deliverance, laying hands on people's heads, praying over people. Father Ripperger unearthed St. Thomas Aquinas' teachings, and he's made it now... He's making it mainstream, and I'm going to help him make it mainstream with this show and, and any, any other way that I can. But he's showing us that there are rules of engagement with the spiritual warfare. And this is the genius of Catholicism that Father Chad Ripperger has, has again, he's unearthed these teachings. It's like they say, when you look at the Catholic faith deeply, there's gold in them, and then there are hills. And so <clears throat> you'll see the issue of power and authority this is something that uh, Pentecostals, Protestants, even a lot of modernist liberal Catholics, they just get this wrong. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clear some of those things up on today's show. So <clears throat> a listener sent me about a dozen questions about power and authority as it relates to healing and deliverance. So the first question the listener sent me was, Jesse, what are the ways that prayer warriors can overcome evil in this world. Well, the first thing that we can do to overcome evil in this world is we have to be personally holy. 
living in a state of sanctifying grace, if you're not doing that, you're helping nobody, especially yourself. Dr. Ralph Martin, one of my friends, he says that the shield of faith, quoting St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, he says the shield of faith extinguishes the fiery darts of the evil one, and all day long the devil is firing fiery darts at all of us. Temptations appealing to our flesh, peer pressure from the culture of death, demonic lies being inserted into our mind. If we as Catholics don't have the shield of faith, we're sitting ducks. We're going to go to the enemy side without even knowing that it's the enemy, without even knowing that we switch sides. There's only two teams out in the world. You're either part of Team Jesus or Team Satan. And those of us that are part of Team Jesus, we want to evangelize those that are part of Team Satan so they can switch jerseys, so they can come onto our sides. And also, we can't also fall into the sin of presumption. We as Catholics that are part of Team Jesus we have to make sure that we stay part of Team Jesus, and that's an act of the will that has to be decided daily. I dare say hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second. We have to decide to follow Christ. We will follow Christ. <clears throat> Another way that we could f- overcome the evil in the world is be a, light, be a light in the world or be a light of the world. We have enough and even an excess of darkness in this world. It's, it's the right time that we should serve as lights. It's high time that we should serve as lights. The world thrives in darkness, but, but Christians live in the light. Christ instructed us, you are the light of the world. In Matthew five fourteen. let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So if we want to overcome the world, our godly examples make a huge difference. Being a light means that we should represent God properly. Our light should shine to others in such a way that they see God in us. Our living example should show people, should lead people to God and drive them into worshiping God. Also, to be a light in the, uh, uh, to overcome the world, Romans 12, 2, in order to overcome the world, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, acceptable, acceptable and the perfect will of God. <clears throat> Here's also another important point, point number three on how to overcome the world. For us to overcome the world, we must be faithful. <clears throat> we read in 1 John five fourteen, we read that whoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So how do you overcome the world? With our Catholic faith. As we read in Revelation seventeen fourteen, it says that those who are with Jesus are all called the chosen and the faithful. Also, the last point to overcome the world, I would say, is we have to be of good cheer, <clears throat> okay? Don't be walking around like Linus kicking sand all day. <clears throat> the, Bible, the Bible tells us in John sixteen thirty three, our Lord says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace in the world, but in the world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus is basically telling us, that tribulations, problems, and trials are part of the Christian life. Challenges are perfectly normal. They're to be expected. <clears throat> but Christian, but Christ comforts and tells us to be of good cheer. Why? Because He has already overcome the world. Let's not forget that. 
Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And so now that Christ is not merely telling us to be of good cheer because he's overcome the world, he's commanding us to be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. So another question, do we have authority? Do we have the authority of our do we have the authority of ourselves to command in the name of Jesus that evil spirits be cast out and of ourselves? That's the way the question. Let me let me clean up the curse. Let me clean up their question. I think they mean to ask, do we have the authority of ourselves to command in the name of Jesus that evil spirits be cast out of ourselves? Okay, so that's the question. Kind of choppy. Yes, we do. <clears throat> At the end of the day, all deliverance from the diabolical is self-deliverance. Anybody can command demons to leave in relationship to self by invoking the name of Jesus. Of course, you must be in a state of grace. Demons aren't going to leave you if you're not in a state of, if you're in a state of mortal sin. That attracts them. <clears throat> so yes, anybody can command demons to leave in relationship to self by invoking the name of Jesus. Of course, with the assistance of Holy Mother Church and the sacraments. An imprecatory prayer is one in which I command the demons to leave. A deprecatory prayer is one in which I petition Jesus, Our Lady, St. Michael, to drive the demons out. If I have authority, I can pray an imprecatory prayer. If I don't have authority, then I should pray a deprecatory prayer. But over yourself, you because you have authority over yourself, because you are you, you can always pray depre- uh, imprecatory prayers over yourself to bless yourself or to drive out a demon. Here's another question that, I'm, uh, that this person asked. There's 12 questions on power and authority. And again, it just goes to show you the genius of the Catholic faith of St. Thomas Aquinas, who's really understood this, and Father Ripperger, who's unearthed his teachings The question is, in order for people to be free from attacks of the devil and bring healing and hope, is it possible to pray over others and use commanding language to remove the evil obstacles that block healing spiritually, emotionally, and physically? Great question. So, an imprecatory prayer is one in which I command the demons to leave. You say, I, I, I. A deprecatory prayer is one in which I petition Jesus, Our Lady, the angels and saints to drive out the demons. If I have authority, I can pray an imprecatory prayer. If I don't, then I should pray a deprecatory prayer. You're listening to Jesus 911. I'll continue talking about power and authority. 12 questions, 12 common questions Catholics ask regarding this topic on healing, deliverance, how, and how do I pray, and when can I pray, and how do I pray. I'll be covering all those uh, questions in the next uh, three segments. You're listening to Jesus 911, Jess Romero, One Man Car. I'm riding solo here, talking about power and authority as it relates to lay people. This is the gold mine of St. Thomas Aquinas, unearthed by Father Ripperger. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, talking about power and authority as it relates to spiritual warfare. The question is, in order for people to be free from attacks of the devil and bring healing and hope, is it possible to pray over others and use commanding language to remove evil obstacles that block healing spiritually, emotionally, and physically? Here's the first thing I would say. Lay, Catholic can, lay Catholics can pray deprecatory prayers for anyone with the proviso that you don't place your hands on their head. Why? This is a priestly position which demons recognize. There is, no, there is not one verse in the Bible, Old and New Testament, that shows one lay Catholic laying his hands on another lay Catholic outside of, again, the, the father-son structure, the patriarch, uh, you know, pupil, disciple structure. And so lay Catholics laying hands over other lay Catholics, this is just not found in Scripture. Demons know that you have no authority over them. We're equals. If you start acting like a priest and you're not a priest, demons can retaliate against you or your family for stepping out of your lane of authority. <clears throat> acting like a priest when we're not, by again, the laying on of hands is a, is a priestly position, posture. Our prayers for others are deprecatory and that's an intercessory. That's perfect. That's fine. Having said that, a lay person can lay hands and do imprecatory prayers over those under your authority, under your domestic church, like your spouse and your kids. The father, the husband of the house, can lay hands on, on their wife, on her head and children, using imprecatory or deprecatory prayers. Most especially, everybody can pray imprecatory prayers. Uh, everybody can pray uh, imprecatory prayers for yourself, for oneself. Lay Catholics by virtue of our baptism and confirmation, have the power to pray because we're in Christ. Uh, we have the power to pray deprecatory prayers for anyone. We don't have authority to pray imprecatory prayers over other people that are not under your authority. However, I repeat, you can pray in imprecatory prayers for yourself. <clears throat> As Catholics, we, we typically use what's called intercessions, you know, lay Catholics, intercessory prayer or prayers of supplication. Uh, for example, our Lord Jesus Christ told St. Faustina in the diary, he said about the divine mercy at 3 p.m. If you say this prayer, the divine mercy with a contrite heart and with faith on behalf of some sinner, I will give that soul the grace of conversion. You can also pray the rosary every single We should be praying it every day. And pray that as a prayer of petition for somebody's conversion. Like, for example, you pray for your husband, your wife, uh, for their conversion. So that your prayers can merit for them the grace of conversion. Our Lady says in promise number 11 of the 15 promises of the rosary, she says, quote, You shall obtain all you ask of me by the recitation of the rosary, close quote. So if you live in a state of grace... You are personally protected from the diabolical. Your tears, pain, and suffering for your spouse are meant to purify you and make you a saint. Your prayers come, become more efficacious as you become holier, as it says in James 5.16. And your role is to pray, do penance, and, and suffer for the conversion of your husband or wife or kids. <clears throat> you could also add a weekly holy hour 
in front of the Blessed Sacrament to merit the grace of conversion for your husband, your wife, your kids. Also, what's a good model for intercessory prayer? A good model, Father Ripperger in his book, he has a prayer, it's called Commission of the Care of Soul and Body. It may be prayed at any time, but especially before sleeping. So you can pray this intercessory prayer for anybody. It goes like this. Let's say I'm going to pray for Anita right now. I would say, Into thy hands, Mary, I commend the body and soul of my wife, Anita. I ask thee to provide for her and to protect her. I ask thee to protect her from the evil one. I ask thee enlighten her mind and strength, her will, and refrain her appetites by grace. Our Lady and St. Michael called down from heaven the legions of angels under your command to protect Anita. I ask of you all the things I ask, uh, I ask of her guardian angel, guardian angel of Anita, under thy intellectual and volitional protection, I place Anita's body. I ask thee to illumine her mind and refrain her appetites. I ask thee to, thee to strengthen her cogitative power, her memory, and her imagination. Help her to remember the things she should and not remember the things she should not. Help her to associate the things she should and not to associate the things she should not. Give her good, clear images in her imagination. I ask thee to drive away all the demons that might affect her while she sleeps or throughout the course of the day. Help her to sleep and if thou uh, should deem it prudent, direct her dreams, help her to arise refreshed. Amen. So that's a good model for intercessory prayer. Here's another one. It's called the Light of Christ Prayer. <clears throat> it's, uh, this is written by Kyle Clement, who's uh, Father Ripperger's uh, number one assistant, his number one team leader. It goes like this, and I'll pray for my wife. I pray that you grant Anita the grace to ascend to the truths of the Roman Catholic faith. I pray that Anita receive the grace to hunger and thirst for the Holy Eucharist. I pray that Anita desires purity of mind, body, and soul. I pray that the light of Christ be upon Anita so that Anita sees herself as the Heavenly Father sees her, and we see her as the Heavenly Father sees her. By the authority as head of household, granted to me by God the Father Almighty, through the natural law and divine positive law, I place the crown of thorns saturated in the precious blood of Jesus upon the head of any demon who dares to, aff uh, to affect my wife, <clears throat> any demon present to her, any lying spirits, any spirits of rebellion or addiction, any demons of any kind who try to afflict her, I place the crown of thorns upon your head. <clears throat> the entire time you try to afflict her, I, I bless my wife in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So these are some prayers, you know, to bring people back to the faith. This prayer here, the light of Christ prayer, the way you bring them back to the faith, it's, it's you're bringing to mind, you bring to mind an image of the person when they were in a right relationship <clears throat> with the Lord through the sacraments, when they were in a state of grace, when they were such as baptism, first communion, confirmation, uh, marriage. And what you do is you project this image of the person you're praying for into the cosmos and you project this image whenever you think or speak of them. So you concentrate your prayer efforts on their salvation rather than on their behaviors. So here's another one. Under what conditions do we have spiritual authority to use commanding language, if at all, for our children, for our grandchildren, for a confirmation, for a confirmation child we sponsor as a godparent? We're trying to understand how and when parents and godparents can bless their children, grandchildren, and at what ages. Can you please explain the authority structure again and get a, give examples of what to say and do and when, and when to give a blessing, when giving a blessing? <clears throat> so here's some of the rules. What about your offspring? 
your children below, below the age of majority. Yes, dad and mom can lay hands and do imprecatory prayers of blessing and, uh, and driving out demons. How about your offspring's children that they've reached beyond the age of majority? Okay, so your kids are now, you know, the age of the majority. Yes, mom and dad can lay hands on them and do deprecatory prayers. But when they reach the age of majority and they're out of the house and they're married and have their own family, your authority as parent goes from commanding to counseling. And now you can you can pray for your kids. Yeah, you can always pray for them. But now you would be doing deprecatory prayers for them. Yes, deprecatory prayers because they've reached the age of majority. How about marry your married sons? Yes, dad and mom can lay hands on them and do deprecatory prayers. <clears throat> Not imprecatory, deprecatory is because again, they're, they're their own men now with their own family. How about married daughters? Yes, dad and mom can lay hands on them and do deprecatory prayers with the husband's permission because she no longer belongs to you. She belongs to her husband. What about grandparents? Yes, grandparents can lay hands on them and do deprecatory prayers with the parents' permission over your grandkids. What about godchildren? Yes, godparents cannot lay hands on them, but they can do deprecatory prayers. Why can't you lay hands on them as godparents? They're not under your authority. <clears throat> what about non-relatives? No, friends can't lay hands over somebody else's head, but they can do deprecatory prayers. So <clears throat> the, the person asked here uh, whether they're supposed to touch the kids when blessing them, what to say. I simply say, I asked, you know, the lady says in this email, I asked Jesus to bless you versus I bless you in the name of Jesus. Would that be okay? Okay, here's a, here's a response. If they're your kids, parents can say, I bless you. That's imprecatory. If they're your kids, parents can say, I bless you in the name of the Father. If they're not your kids, then you must, you must say, like it says in Ruth chapter 3, verse 10, may the Lord bless you. Why? Because notice, Boaz said to Ruth, may the Lord bless you. That's one lay person to another lay person. Boaz didn't say, I bless you. Because Boaz has no authority over Ruth. They were friends at this point. To say I bless you would be an imprecatory prayer. So Boaz says to Ruth, may the Lord bless you. That's a deprecatory prayer. And you don't see Boaz at this point uh, laying hands on Ruth. Because they're lay people. So <clears throat> is commanding language, here's a question. Is commanding language such as we have discussed prohibited by the church or is simply dangerous in that it exposes us to demonic attacks. Well, <clears throat> commanding language is a patriarchal way of praying. It's called imprecatory language. In Scripture, only males in authority pray that way. All the women in Scripture use petitionary and supplication language when they pray. Since demons are lawyers from hell, they, they know when someone is praying outside the authority structure. In fact, there, there are prayers against retaliation. There's actually prayers against retaliation because this, this is something that's, that commonly happens to people. If you help an exorcist in a session with a possessed person before you leave for home, 
the priest prays a prayer of protection against retaliation for the entire team. When a lay person tries to imitate the ministry of an ordained priest, it's dangerous. You open yourself, you open yourself to retaliation. I'll give you a few biblical examples. Number one, the story of the rebellion of Korah is recorded in number 16. The rebellion of Korah, a layperson, demonstrates the grim consequences of usurping the authority of God and of those whom he has chosen to be leaders of his people. Korah was of the tribe of Levi, the same tribe as Moses, the prophet, and Aaron, the high priest. Korah led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, accusing them of exalting themselves above the congregation of the Lord. And he was struck dead. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we have another example. Uzzah, a layman, is struck down by God, dead, for acting like a Levite priest and touching the ark. Here's another example. <clears throat> Remember what happened? Oh, we'll, I'll, I'll talk about this on the next segment. Jesus 911. Talking about power and authority, our beautiful Catholic faith has rules for engagement. We've got to follow them. No other church has the rules of engagement that we have. They're still trying to figure it out. We've been around for 2,000 years. We've got it figured out. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. We're talking about healing and deliverance in terms of lay people, the authority structure. When can you pray over people? When can you pray, not pray over people? How to do it? There's a words called imprecatory and deprecatory. Imprecatory means when you pray in the first person, I, I, I bless you. Deprecatory would be when you pray and may Jesus bless you. May God bless you. Uh, may the Blessed Mother bless you. That would be deprecatory prayers. Deprecatory prayers can always be prayed by a lay person. And I'm talking about when you can pray and cannot pray imprecatory prayers. That's typically the way a priest prays, I, 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 since he has spiritual authority over the entire people of God. But people get themselves in trouble, <clears throat> and you see this in the Old Testament, when they start acting like priests and they're not priests. <clears throat> For example, there's a story in uh, Numbers chapter 3, verse 29 to 31. This is, remember what happened to the men of, of Beth Shemeth. Uh, the men of Beth Shemeth. Uh, that story is in 1 Samuel chapter 6, uh, verse 19. They looked inside the Ark of the Covenant and they were lay people. They weren't supposed to do that. That was prohibited to them and God killed them because they were not Levites and no one was supposed to look inside the Ark. The law of Moses mandated that the care of the ark of the most holy things was entrusted to the Levites. It was not to be transported by cart or any other vehicle. So here's a question. Can priests, deacons, and religious use this commanding language, whereas we as laity cannot? <clears throat> yes. Clergy use this commanding language, most especially during the liturgy, because of the office they have been given called holy orders. <clears throat> now, Here's another question. Uh, what scripture supports your guidance? In other words, where do we see, where do we see in the Bible that only priests or the patriarchs can lay hands on somebody else's head and pray for them? Where is this at? Let me read to you from 
Unger's Bible Dictionary under the, under the paragraph where it's called laying on of hands. Here's what it says. The laying on of hands, this occurs in scripture as a patriarchal usage as with Jacob's laying his hands upon the heads of Joseph's children. Genesis 48, 14. It also occurs in later times as when Jesus placed his hands upon children presented to him for his blessing in Matthew 19, 15. The laying on of hands form part of the ceremony observed at the appointment and consecration of persons such as, such as of Joshua by Moses in Numbers 27 and Deuteronomy 34. It sometimes attended the healing of persons by a prophet, although in one instance, in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha placed his hands upon the hands of the, uh, upon the hands of the child. In the gospel age, the action was undoubtedly used in connection with the bestowal of supernatural gifts or the miraculous effects of the Holy Spirit in Mark 5.23. Although our Lord extended his hands over the apostles when blessing them at the Mount of Olives in Luke 24.50, the apostles laid their hands upon the sick and healed them, Matthew 9.18, Mark 6.5, and at times also laid their hands upon the baptized that they might receive the special gifts of the Holy Spirit. A quite natural extension of this practice was to apply it to those who were set apart to the sacred office in the church. The men already possessed a delegated power and authority proceeding, like Moses in respect to Joshua, or to, or to put some of their own honor upon those chosen to the same responsible and dignified position. Not that the mere act <clears throat> would confer any special spiritual power, but it was employed as a fit and appropriate symbol to denote their full and formal consent to the bestowal of the divine gift and being accompanied by prayer to him who alone can really bestow it, it might ordinarily be, be regarded as a sign that the communication had actually taken place. <clears throat> in the rites of the early church, the laying on of hands was used in confirmation, which generally was an accompaniment, an accompaniment of baptism and symbolize the reception of the Holy Spirit. It was also practiced in ordination. In the modern church, Roman Catholics use the laying on of hands in the ceremonies that precede extreme unction, in ordination, and in confirmation, in both of which services it has received a sacramental efficacy. In the Mass, previous to the consecration of the elements, <clears throat> The priest extends his hands over the people in blessing. The Church of England and the Protestant Episcopal Churches employ it as a, as a symbolic act in baptism. The Methodist, the Presbyterian, and the Congregational Churches employ it only in ordination. So, <clears throat> the question is, <clears throat> so, what does... What, what is a demonic attack or what is retaliation? Can you share an example or have you heard of anyone experiencing demonic, demonic attacks over, of, of themselves or family members because they prayed over others using this language? Okay. This happens all the time and all over the country. There's, those, uh, there's about 100 exorcists in the United States uh, that share notes with each other. And these are some of the things that they share with each other. Uh, cases where people become retaliated by evil spirits because people are stepping outside their lane of authority and acting like priests when they're not. 
but here's an article that was cut up, put out by, uh, by, by uh, CruxNow.com. CruxNow.com. This was back in 2020. It says, Vatican recognized exorcists group offers guidelines for quality control. So this is going to answer the question. It says, <clears throat> Vatican, a Vatican recognized group of exorcists has issued a new book for practitioners of the church's ritual to combat demonic possession. Among other things, insisting that authority, there it is, there's a word, authority to perform exorcisms belongs exclusively to priests assigned by their diocesan bishop and no one else. According to figures from the group, the move comes in response to a perception that there are too many rogue operators, both clerical and lay people, who claim to perform exorcisms but who aren't authorized to do so. In other words, <clears throat> there's even uh, there's models out there that teach lay people. There's deliverance models out there in the Catholic Church that teach lay people to be to be rogue operators. This is very dangerous. The article says the guidelines offer three reasons as to why the ministry of exorcism is limited to priests specifically designated for the task. First bullet. Only priests possess a mandate from the church to command demons in the name of God to recede, no longer to harm human creatures for any reason. Number two, the ministry of exorcism isn't just about the recitation of prayers, but discernment and accompaniment of, of faithful tormented by the devil. Pastoral tasks, which occupy a very important and essential place. Number three, third bullet. If a bishop names an exorcist, he also has a responsibility to make sure that priest has a specific preparation that renders him more suited than anyone else to discernment of extraordinary diabolic action. Here's my comment. Again, this is why Libra Crystal was started to train Catholic priests and their teams. The article says, the guidelines warn that unauthorized priests and laity who attempt to perform exorcisms without authorization actually may open the door to further demonic influence over the people they're trying to help. Issuance of the guidelines follows several years of mounting concern over what one member of the International Association of Exorcists described in 2017 as do-it-yourself exorcisms, which sometimes have been associated with instances of sexual abuse. In that 2017 gathering, members pointed to a case in Palermo, Italy, in which a priest, not authorized to perform exorcisms, nonetheless offered them to local women claiming to be possessed and had been accused of abusing them sexually in the process, including, in some instances, minor girls, close quote. Notice, this is, this is known as... That case is known as retaliation. This priest was outside his lane of authority, performing exorcisms without the authority of the bishop. So the demon compromised him, got him uh, to start now, triggered his emotions during some of, some of these prayer sessions and got him sexually involved with minor girls. The demon retaliated against his priesthood 
for stepping out of his lane of authority. This is what happens. Demons are lawyers from hell. They retaliated against this particular Catholic priest in Palermo, Italy, because he was outside of his bishop's authority. If they retaliate against a Catholic priest, what do you think they'll do to a lay person who is, who is commanding, who is commanding uh, demons to leave over other people and acting like a priest? Being outside of authority leaves you unprotected and open to demonic retaliation. Another question. If it is permitted or even encouraged to offer these prayers, what is the best way to go about it? The best way to go about it is to pray for yourself. The spiritual warfare prayers that are safe for the lady, once you're in a state of grace, you should be praying spiritual warfare prayers over yourself and your family. The perfect prayers to pray would be the Auxilium Christianorum prayers. There's a website, auxiliumchristianorum.org. And it is appropriate. The question is, is it appropriate to use the words Heavenly Father by the power of the Holy Spirit? I ask in the name of Jesus. Yes, you can say that phrase. That's an imprecatory phrase over yourself or those under your authority. Absolutely. We'll be right back talking about power and authority, do's and don'ts from a Catholic perspective. Stick around. We'll be right back. Jesus 911. Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. You know, we have a personal responsibility in, in spiritual warfare. Sadly, many Catholics avoid the sacraments, and one bad choice leads to another. Uh, many Catholics stray away from the truth, and this is how we become vulnerable to, the, to diabolical affliction is uh, the, the, you'll find the number one reason why demons attack people is because people don't know their faith. People that lose, lose their path to God due to unconfessed mortal sin, every spiritual compromise, these, uh, these, are, all, these are all areas where we willfully create a vulnerability to the demon. And these vulnerabilities create attachment points for the enemy to present half-truths or complete lies to us. This sets up the enemy's battle plan to gain greater and greater strongholds within us. These then become areas where grace can be obstructed or entirely shut off. One of the main goals that we want to do through these programs here with the War College and Jesus 9-1 is to teach, is to teach others a Catholic way to identify and fight daily spiritual battles in order to gain freedom from diabolic affliction. The work of closing the entryways, the portals to evil influences, is the first line of defense on this battlefield. This is where the battle lines get drawn in our fight for our souls. Liberation is accomplished through spiritual warfare, not spiritual negotiation. One must desire sanctification and remain committed to the personal efforts necessary 
through the ordinary means of sanctification provided by the church, that is growing in holiness through prayer, the practice of virtue, and participating in the sacraments of the church are central to liberation. Liberation is a gift from God so that we can freely live freely and engage successfully in spiritual warfare. The ultimate goal is not just liberation from evil, but the salvation of our souls. In earthly battle, courage is not the absence of fear, but decisive action in the face of fear. The book of Exodus provides some excellent analogies for spiritual warfare. For example, when you have your back against the wall in a Red Sea moment, choose to trust and act in the face of whatever fears the demon projects to you. Moses' words of encouragement still apply today. He says in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to keep still. God will act if you trust him. You, you, you have called to the Lord and he now accompanies you in the dark valley. Thus, you have nothing to fear as it's promised in Psalm 23. Although every one of us speaks Egyptian and how we've been enculturated into non-Christian elements of society, we do not belong in the Egypt of sin and oppression. Like the Israelites, we have been assimilated into a culture of oppression that militates against God's law and ultimately seeks to enslave us. Oppression increases, however, if we stay in the same undesirable state of affairs. Recall how, after the Israelites first sought to leave Egypt, Pharaoh not only demanded the same coat of bricks, but also no longer provided the straw. So as you strive to leave your own Egypt, the devil, symbolized by Pharaoh, will attempt to increase your oppression. Do, not, do you grumble and submit or trust God? Recall also the dangers of bringing artifacts of Egypt with you as you depart into the desert. All ties with past evil, symbolized by Pharaoh and the slavery of Egypt, must be broken if you're going to be healed. So what about power and authority? Catholics are taught to exercise the authority they already have as baptized Christians and to command the influencing demon spirits to depart. Power and authority are two different things. Power is the cause of change. Authority is the right to use the power to cause the change. Let me repeat that again. Power is the cause of change. Authority is the right to use the power to cause the change. One may have the power to affect change, but this does not give a person the right to use the power. For example, an adult may observe the child of another shop, shopper misbehaving in a grocery store. While the adult has the power to reprimand the child, the child will, not, will, will undoubtedly not obey. However, because the child is not related to that adult, if an adult is not the parent of a child, he has no authority over that child, and the child knows that. Jesus says in Mark 16, 17, in, thy, in my name, they will drive out demons, close quote. The name of Jesus has power, but the authority to use that power is based on natural law and divine positive law. And again, if you want to read more on that, get a hold of Father Ripperger's book, Dominion, chapter 4, where he goes deep into this natural law and divine positive law as it relates to power. So authority is never something claimed, but is given by God either by natural law, such as in the case of the authority that parents have over their children, or by divine positive law, such as the authority that a priest 
has over the faithful by virtue of his priesthood, his holy orders. Authority is a right possessed by those who have an office or delegated jurisdiction by which they're able to command those under their authority to perform a specific action. The imprecatory form of prayer essentially involves commanding the demons to leave or to do something or to be bound. In the deprecatory form of prayer, one would ask God, Our Lady, or an angel to command the demons. One may only use the imprecatory form when one has authority over the person he is praying for. For example, a layman may use the imprecatory form over his minor children or his wife because of his office as father or husband. A mother can command based on the office of motherhood. She can command in relation to the husband due to the right to his body due to the marital contract. One does not have authority over another individual or demon purely by virtue of one's baptism. Baptism gives us authority over over the demons in relation to ourselves in order to determine if one has the right to command the demons in relationship to a particular individual. It is simply required to ask whether one has a right to command the individual from the natural law in other matters. For example, a father has the right to tell a son to clean out the garage and therefore has the authority to use the imprecatory form in relationship to demons that afflict his son because of his rights over his son. So what about grandparents, godparents, and adopted children? Grandparents do not have the same right to command that the parents have and therefore cannot command demons in relationship to their grandchildren. Godparents have the right of counsel, not the right of command, in relation to their godchildren. This is evidenced by a mere example of the fact that a godparent could not call up his godchild and tell him to clean out the garage. In addition, it is commonly observed by exorcists that once a person legally adopts a child, he then has authority over the child to command demons. Why? This is based upon the fact that the natural law given to, this, given to the state to confer upon a particular couple the duties, responsibilities, and rights over a child that is adopted suffices to bind the child under obedience and therefore the demons who afflict him. So outside of these examples, lay people should use deprecatory form of, of prayers in relationships to demons. The imposition or the laying on of hands is a manifestation of authority over the person by which one is conferring some good thing. The hands of the, of the lay people are not anointed as are those of a Catholic priest. The lay people do not have authority over each other except as explained, as I explained. Even if the laying on of hands is not intended as an assertion of authority, as in, for example, in prayers of healing, the gesture itself is priestly and therefore reserved for the ordained. Therefore, outside the context of those given that I just gave you, that is the familial construct, lay people should not be imposing hands on other lay people since they do not have authority over them, plain and simple. The ability of a layman to bless is essentially shown in the Old Testament in which parents, especially the father, has the right to bless his children by virtue of his office as father. The husband has the ability to bless his wife by virtue of his his spiritual headship over his wife, 
And the wife has the right to bless the children, but not the husband, because she does not have authority over him since she is not his head. Outside the context of the family, it is not normally conceded that lay people have the ability to bless another person. The reason for this is that the ability to bless proceeds from an office by which one commands the blessing over the person. Since they do not have the authority to command those people who are not under them by virtue of an office, they do not have the authority to command blessings. To give an imprecatory blessing without authority is superstition, as it would not be valid. They can, however, petition our Lord to bless people in the deprecatory prayer, such as, may our Lord bless you in the name of, the, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, instead of, I bless you. So, You've been listening to Jesus 911. My name is Jesse Romero. I've just uh, given you a whole lot of uh, food for thought regarding uh, the do's and don'ts of praying over people. Here's a safe way. Drug addicts come up to me all the time, alcoholics, gang members, people that want to change their life when I go speak at parish missions. So what do I, they go, Jesse, can you lay hands on me? Can you pray over me? Because again, they're, they're, they're used to seeing Protestant models on television and their family members that are Protestants are used to seeing this. So I'll say, sure, I'll pray, with, I'll pray with you. And here's what I do. I take out my St. Benedict's medal and my Miraculous medal, very big. I'll put it on their hands and then I'll lead them into a prayer. I'll say, okay, repeat after me. I don't put my hand on their head. I have them hold my sacramentals, which are blessed objects. Why? Because my sacramentals confer blessings. My sacramentals confer grace. My hands aren't blessed. But my sacramentals are blessed. My sacramentals, they, they project grace. My hands don't. And so I'll lead a drug addict, a gang member, a prostitute, an alcoholic. I'll say, repeat after me. And I'll take them to a prayer like, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry. I, I repent of my sins. I, I, I'm going to I want to amend my life. Help me, Lord. Uh, you know, creating me a, a clean heart. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for offending you. Give me the grace to come back to the sacraments, Lord. Give me the grace, Lord. Stir up the, the grace of the sacraments that are within me. Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you to come in, back into my life. I repent of all my sins. Uh, you know, I just lead them through a prayer of repentance. And then I say, okay, now that you're done, go see a Catholic priest as soon as possible and go make a good confession and get back to church and forget about your past. You've been listening to Jesus 911. I've been talking about the great, amazing Catholic Church and what she's given us in terms of spiritual warfare like no other church because she's the only church that possesses the authority of Christ. God bless you. Keep the faith. See you next time. Up next, Gary Machuda, Hands-On Apologetics. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right. He'll be, he'll be back in a minute.